Well, it is wonderful to be here with all of you today. I was delighted when Ryan phoned and asked me, and I found that I could do it today. He has wanted me to come and be with you, and I have wanted to come and be with you. And as very often happens, and particularly in the summertime, it's hard to make things fit into schedules. Has anybody been traveling this summer, been going around, taking advantage of the fact that it's summer and you can get away and have leisure time? I actually, and this sounds to me insane, went to West Texas in the summertime. <laughs> Why would somebody do that? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, the reason why my cousins and I, who are all from Washington, D.C., and grew up very close to one another in Washington, was that our grandparents had come from this little West Texas town. And so we thought, wouldn't it be fun to go out there and celebrate our grandparents? If it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't be here, y'all. So... <laughs> So we, we met up in this little town and we celebrated our grandparents and we had some time together at their gravesite and it was truly, truly a beautiful time. So summer is very, very much a part of when we have leisure time and when we do things that are for R&R &R and in enjoyment. And I mention that for a reason that I think will become very evident as we talk about our scripture this morning. Our scripture for this morning is actually one that is from the Revised Common Lectionary. And so John 6 is being preached in churches all over the world today for those churches that follow the lectionary and are using this scripture. And it is a text that if you come to church regularly or you read your Bible regularly, it is going to be very familiar to you. And I love the fact that this is the scripture for today, and this morning it comes in your service right after we've done this, right after we've shared a meal together, right after we've taken bread and we've, we've shared the cup. This is a story of Jesus feeding a whole heck of a lot of people. And he does it in a miraculous way, in a wonderful way. And it shows, as Jesus is feeding these people, the power of God working through Jesus to minister to these people and to meet a need. I was going to say this is one of my favorite scriptures, but I realize that every time I preach, I say, this is one of my favorite scriptures. I think I like the whole book. Well, there are parts of the Old Testament that are a little dodgy, but we won't go into that. So this is from John 6. After this, Jesus went up to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and he sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread to feed all these people? 
He said this to test Philip, for Jesus knew himself what he was planning to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not be enough of, of bread to, re, to give each of these people even a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here, and he has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so many people? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was a great deal of grass in this place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told the disciples, gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing is lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed a prophet who has come into the world. That scripture text continues, but I'm going to stop there because that is the bit that I really want to talk about today, that Jesus is feeding these 5,000 people. There is nothing in the Gospel of John that the writer John has put in there that doesn't have significance. Everything that John says has rich meaning. And he starts out by saying a large crowd of people, a huge, large crowd of people. These were people who were on the move. Unlike you and I, they didn't have a lot of leisure time to go on holiday. They weren't roaming around in this area of first century Galilee just because they needed to take a day off. These are people who were traveling with great purpose. They had a reason for why they were traveling. Some of these people, yes, may have been merchants, and they may have been traveling because they had to go to market and sell their designer clothes or whatever it was that they, they were selling. Some of them were shepherds, and you know what shepherds do. They're constantly moving about with their sheep. Some of these people, they were traveling for many different reasons. Some, you can imagine at that time, if you think about the first century, some of these people were fleeing oppression, right? Some of these people were refugees and immigrants looking for a place that they might go of safety and where their lives and their presence and who they are as human beings would be honored and that they would find sanctuary and comfort. People were traveling for lots of different reasons. And of all these people, you can imagine there was one group on this side and one group on this side and one group on this side, and they probably weren't interacting with one another. Why? Well, much like even today, 
there are people who won't interact with people unlike themselves. Maybe it's fear, mistrust. You don't know about other people, and so you stay away. These people were traveling for all kinds of reasons, and they were all going through their own journey. But the thing that they had in common at this point is Jesus. Something about this man, Jesus, has resonated with them. They saw something about Jesus that was kinetic, that was ebullient, that was charisma. And they were drawn to this man, Jesus. Yes, he was healing people. He was creating miracles. But I don't think that they were attracted to Jesus because he was this amazing magician. They were attracted to Jesus because Jesus lived in this beautiful, what I like to call spiritual reality. He lived in this beautiful reality and world of possibility and unity and peace and the affirmation that all people are worthy. You only need to read your scripture verses to see that Jesus reached out and ministered to everybody. Yes, he came to, to save the lost sheep of Israel, but he soon realized that his ministry was much bigger than that. That there were people who were not Jewish, and there were people that, oh my gosh, were even Romans, who would be drawn to Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, well, gosh, I'm really sorry for you, and I'll pray for you, but you're a Roman, so sorry. He met the need. Jesus saw a need, and he met it. He could have had a bumper sticker that said, never saw a need I didn't meet. I don't know what he would have put it on, but he could have had a bumper sticker. So these people saw signs, and they came to Jesus because they saw possibility and hope. Jesus, as he often does when he has ministered to people, and it's a lesson that I think we can all take in as well, that he took his disciples and he went up to the mountain. Why? Jesus, of course, was very wise, and he understood that between each major thing that he did, it was time to go and pray and meditate, to talk to God, and allow God to rejuvenate him for the thing that's next. The biggest problem that we have in our hurry up society today is we feel guilty if we take a pause. If we take a Sabbath day, oh my gosh, whoever really takes a Sabbath day? But even if we take a pause, maybe between phone calls that we have to make or meetings that we have, I'm gonna pause for a moment. And I'm gonna dwell in that spiritual reality in that prayer state that Jesus operated in 24-7. Knowing that when I go on to that thing that is next, I'm fired up. I'm fired up with the spirit within me that is going to allow me to do that next thing that I do. So Jesus goes up to the mountain and he takes his disciples and uh, what does the crowd do? They follow, don't they? They have seen something. 
that has meant so much to them, and they want more. You ever tasted something like an hors d'oeuvre, and you think, this is really good. Now I want the meal. Okay? These people had the hors d'oeuvre. They saw something in Jesus that was meaningful and that was speaking to them, and they wanted more. And so they came, and they came to Jesus because there was safety. There was safety in his presence. And so now the gospel writer John gets to the purpose of this text. The purpose of this text is Jesus saying, how are we going to feed these people? Now, I have read this scripture my entire life, but the last couple weeks, as I was thinking about it, I thought, okay, Jesus is saying, how am I going to feed these people? And I thought, Jesus, why is it your responsibility? You didn't invite these people. They just showed up. And now you think, why don't, what am I going to do to feed these people? And I love that he did this. So that Philip says, if we had six months' wages, we couldn't buy enough food to feed these people. Philip was doing what you and I usually do when we have a dilemma. What is the first thing we do? We go to limitation, don't we? We go to the negativity. We go to how is this possibly going to be possible? And we see something as a problem instead of seeing it maybe as an opportunity. So this incredible, rich opportunity is created for Jesus to meet the needs of these people. So Andrew says, well, there's this little boy here, and he's got some loaves, and he has some fish. I thought, wow. Now again, John does not put anything in his gospel that doesn't have a significance. A little boy. Now, in the first century, children basically were of no value. They didn't contribute anything. They were of no value. They were the lowest on the scale of worthiness of a human being. Sad, isn't it? In the Roman world, if people had a child and they decided, I don't want this child, they left it on the side of the road. They left it there to die. Maybe somebody will pick it up, but it's probably going to die. Somebody might pick it up and decide, oh, great, I can raise this child to be a slave. Children had no purpose. And when I think about that in the first century and I see some of the things that have gone on today in our world with the way children have been treated, I have to sit down and weep. So John has a purpose for having this little boy in this text. This little boy is going to assist Jesus in Jesus' message. It is this little boy who is going to provide a solution. And I think that is so meaningful and it is so rich to us today. Jesus takes this bread and this fish and he distributes it and he demonstrates the power of God 
working through possibility for these people. But, you knew there was going to be a but, right? Otherwise, Ryan wouldn't have invited me today. <laughs> but, we miss the point, I think, if we look at this scripture and we stop there. So I want to consider another way to look at it. This past week, I was reading Sojourner's Magazine. It's one of those publications that pastors read all the time. We're weird about some of the stuff we read. And um, there was an article in there by Pearl Maria Barros. And it reflected on this very text. And I love this. And I want to share this with you as we think about another way of looking at how we can relate to this scripture in the 21st century. She writes, it is tempting to think of these miracles in supernatural terms, certainly a possible interpretation. But the miracles in these stories may have less to do with the magical multiplication of food and more to do with the relationship between people and God they portray. In Jesus' time, think about this, it was typical for people to carry food with them when they were traveling. And I'm going to offer a footnote there. They were traveling around in the desert. There was no In-N-Out Burger. She goes on to write, Consider how the boy in the story has bread and fish with him. Now consider what might happen if everybody in the crowd who brought food with them decided to share their food with those who didn't have any. The miracle in the story becomes Jesus' ability to move people out of their selfishness, inspiring them to nourish one another. Wow. Jesus creates among these 5,000 plus people who don't know each other, who may be in fear of one another and mistrust of one another. Jesus demonstrates reconciliation and Jesus demonstrates unity and Jesus demonstrates community. So let's contemplate that as we reflect on this story. It's true that we never know the burdens that other people are going through when we encounter them. We never know what is hurting them, causing them pain. People are really good about putting up a stiff upper lip, soldiering on. But we can, through our lives, be the bread that touches the life of someone else. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I was visiting my friend Reverend Laura's church and she gave a sermon that I really loved. She said that every year at holidays, Christmas, birthdays, her brother, when they were growing up, would always ask for socks. And so the first year he did this, they gave him socks. Second year rolls around. What do you want as a gift? Socks. They gave him socks. This went on and on and on. And finally, Laura said she said to her brother, why do you need all these socks? 
I know what drawer space you have in your room. You don't have room for all these socks. What do you do with them? And he got very quiet. And then he said, I keep most of them in my car. And when I am driving around, if I see a person on the street in bare feet who's homeless, I hand them a pair of socks. And he said, generally, before they even say thank you, if they say thank you, they put them on. They have been touched by the kindness of another person who does not even know them. Reconciliation, unity, communion. This first, the second half of 2016 and the first half of 2017, I was in uh, Washington, D.C., my hometown, and I was uh, doing some interim work at various churches around there, and it was great as Christmas rolled around because I thought, great, I'm in D.C., my family's in D.C., a lot of my friends are in D.C., I'm going to go do my Christmas shopping, and I don't have to mail anything this year. So I went to my favorite place. It's a place that I call the happiest place on earth. Now before you say, that's Disneyland, to me the happiest place on earth is Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> I love Bed Bath & Beyond and I went into this and it was like the Costco with Bed Bath & Beyonds. I thought they're never gonna find me, I'm never gonna come out of here, I'm having a ball. And it's Christmas time and Christmas music is playing and people are filling their carts and they're rushing around trying to find the perfect gift. And I've got all the time in the world that day and I am in heaven. I am in my happy place. Oprah, that is my special place. So one of my favorite things. So I fill my cart and I go to check out and I'm in the queue and I can see the... Uh, the cashier up ahead, and she's, she's struggling. I know working in retail is tough. Anybody ever work in retail? It's, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. People can be not nice. And at Christmas, when we're supposed to be in this joyous atmosphere, people can be, as they say in a Yiddish term, I'm going to teach you all a Yiddish term today, fabesana. They can be unpleasant and have a scowly face. They are fabicina. And so I'm waiting in the queue, and finally it's time for me to come up to the line, and I see that the girl seems very burdened. And I'm unloading my cart, and I have a stack of coupons. Don't you love the coupons? I've got a stack of coupons. And I said to her, Merry Christmas! Isn't it a wonderful season? Don't you love Christmas? I am so happy. And she kind of looked at me. And then I said, I hope you're having a great day. And I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And she's checking me out. And she finally stops. And for the first time, she looks me in the eye. And she says, you are so nice. She said, thank you. She said, I was having the worst day possible. And now I have done a 180. You are so nice. 
That shocked me. Do we really live in a world where people say to us, out of surprise, you are so nice? In that moment, in some small way, unbeknownst to me, I was able to be the bread for that person. And we are called also to be the bread for those around us. Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world, and we can do that by being the bread that meets the need in another. And sometimes we don't know what that need even, even is. A smile, a kind word, can I help you with that? Whatever it is, can be the thing that changes another person's life. In Guidepost magazine, Mitch Alban wrote, faith is about doing. You are how you act, not just how you believe. So how are we going to act? Are we going to go forth from here and be the bread that Jesus calls us to be to touch the lives of one another? You know what happens when we're the bread for somebody else? We find out that they're also the bread for us. Because as we reach out to another in reconciliation and in unity and in community, they become, they mirror that back to us. This, my friends, is how we change the world. I have a slide I want to share with you. Joseph Campbell says that the privilege of a lifetime is to be who you are. What I know for sure is that the real privilege is getting to use who you are to elevate the good of everyone else. Be the bread. We are called to be the bread. Thank you, gospel writer John, for these words. We can go forth and we can be that little boy and together we can change the world. So, y'all gonna do it? Y'all with it? We're gonna go forth and change the world? God bless you and thank you for letting me be with you this